Welcome to the Source Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Royston, and here we're having conversations. This season is all about conversations with other people that walk the spiritual path, and this one's yet another wonderful one. Hope you enjoy. In this episode, I've invited my friend, Nicole Fulmer, to join me to share with you some of the deep conversations that we have on the regular as we pass in the hallways at Cal State Fullerton. She's also a therapist working towards an integrative, open-hearted, psycho-spiritual practice uh, in the San Diego area. And our conversation pretty much focused on her awakenings, her evolution, her process of becoming who she is today. Um, I found it very inspiring and insightful, and I hope you do too. Thanks for joining us. All right, Nicole, welcome to the Source Wheel podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I have uh, been a fan of our conversations privately for so long, literally since I met you. And there's always been a spiritual component. There's always been an, an element of that you and I live the symbolically rich life. You and I understand that there's so much more. In fact, I think your Instagram handle is like journey woman or something like that. So you're already somebody who like vibes the way I vibe, walks the way I walk, talk the way I talk. And so I'm just very excited to share you with my audience because these conversations have been a delight privately, which led me to think they might be a delight publicly. So thanks for joining my podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me and those spiritual connections with people of like mind, heart and spirit are the most rich and rewarding relationships I have. So very grateful to have you in my life and happy to allow others uh, in on our conversations and hope they enjoy it. Yeah. And I know what I know about you is that you're, you're satisfied with these being private conversations. So mm -hmm. I want to commend your willingness to make it public because I know that's a different thing. And, and yet it's because you, you love these types of conversations more than you love your, you know, comfort. And so one of the things I know that we're going to talk about is, is how to value being uncomfortable and mm. how such a big part of the spiritual path. Um, but I do want to ground our audience in just the basics of who you are. So I met you at Cal State Fullerton, but you're not just, you know, somebody who works at Cal State Fullerton. You've got a whole private practice as a therapist. Um, what else do you think would be helpful for our audience to know about you and your path, how you got to the point where you're ending up as a guest on my podcast? Oh, I think other than my identity as a therapist and that whole academic and uh, personal growth journey is um, the fact that I'm a mom and became a mom at 17 or very close to 17. My son was born December 23rd, 1994. And I turned 17 March 7th, 1995. Wow. Yeah. And that relationship has been and continues to be the most important and catalyzing relationships in my life um, and pushes me to be the best version of myself that I can possibly be. And then spirituality and psychotherapy being avenues 
um, to help embody, to move towards the embodiment of that being. Mm. I don't know if you're getting emotional, but I am over here just listening to the sacred mother. Yeah. Wow. What a powerful guide. Mm. I think where I'm at right now is this integration of psychology, what psychology has brought to me and spirituality has brought to me. And I've found that through the self-compassion movement mm. and um, really kind of coming to a place of grace for myself where I'm able to hold mistakes and limitations with compassion. Yeah. Compassion. I was going to say non-judgment, but it's like, there are still moments of judgment, but I'm able to bring the compassion and the grace in and to choose that rather than the shame and the judgment. Yeah. Thanks for distinguishing that because compassion is very different than non-judgment. Mm-hmm. And before you get into, like, I like how you said where you're at now mm -hmm. um, is, is really grounded in self-compassion, but nobody needs compassion without pain. Right. right. I'm wondering if you're willing to float back to before motherhood, before, like, I'm curious about earlier touches with spirituality. I'm interested in, you know, this, this, this evolution that you talk about obviously didn't just start at motherhood. Um, you've probably had glimpses of the spiritual life as early as, I don't know, maybe your very young years. I think you're tapping into your shamanic <laughs> uh, intuitive powers there in thinking about what we might talk about today. Some mm. very, very early memories um, came forth. Uh, you know that I can't talk about spirituality without also talking about dreams. Yeah, I do. Be yeah, because for me, that is such a rich source of my connection to spirit. Um, and one of the earliest dreams I remember, I was about four years old. And it was at a time where I think I had, I remember an early memory of wetting the bed and being really like soaked in pee in my pajamas, going into my mom and dad's room, trying to wake my mom up, but she was like that she could barely wake up and, and like sleeping on the floor next to their bed. And I have early memories of going into their bed as well, you know, just waking up in the middle of the night and going into their bed and wanting to be with them. So then one night um, I had this dream that I had woken up left my bedroom, gone into their room, opened the door and saw two like warrior, Algonquin warrior uh, natives with tomahawks and they had just murdered my parents. And one of them looked at me, made eye contact with me and I was like standing in the doorway of their room terrified at the scene that I had just witnessed and these two men, that felt very, very real. Eye contact in a dream is so rare and so significant, Nicole. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I've got goosebumps over my entire body right now listening to that vision. Exactly. I just got goosebumps with you reflecting that. When I was thinking about that dream, I'm like, he feels like a real person to me still. 
that's a coming through moment. That's not just a, that's not just a, a quote projection from your unconscious as the mm -hmm. analysts would say that was something else. It seems. Right. Like a, a, a direct connection and communication with a spirit guide that was showing up very scary, but I feel helping push me towards my um, growth development and evolution, including connection with spirituality. So at the end of the dream, he chases me out, not just of the room, but of the house. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. The, the, the message I'm getting is that you do not trust comfort. Will mm. not lead you to the path. Right. You know, cause obviously he didn't kill your real parents. He killed the symbolic comfort right? Of the home and the parents. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I, and I was like four when I had that dream. My goodness. And I, this is an aside and probably not necessary, but I don't want you to feel alone in knowing what it feels like to be soaked in pee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also have <laughs> memories. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, it was a, um, you know, it was a developmental, yeah, kind of norm. You know, I just wasn't able to wake myself up, and it wasn't a nightly thing. But, um, you know, I know it's normal for a lot of kids at that so, age. So now I'm curious, and maybe my and I try to ask the questions that I think my audience might. Um, did you tell your parents <laughs> about this dream? This is a dream that maybe you wouldn't, and then have you sat with that alone this whole time? I told my mom years later when I had kind of consciously chosen a spiritual path and some of these memories started resurfacing for me. So the, when the memory of the dream came back to me around 19 or 20, I do remember um, telling my mom about it. Um, they didn't really, she didn't really understand but I had a very close friend at the time who was much further along in his spiritual development, who was able to provide um, context and um, insight similar to the conversation we're having now. Mm. All right. So now your parents are in the podcast. Tell me about their spirituality or at least what they tried to impart to you. And I'm curious now like that, but also curious like how much of that did you keep and how much did you morph into your own thing yeah so both of my parents um were raised by um more religious um families my dad coming from a more um protestant christian background and my mom so my my dad culturally ethnically is um, mostly German, English, and Dutch that I'm aware of. Okay. And my mom is full Italian. So my mom was raised um, in uh, Catholicism and went to Catholic school and went through that whole process. <clears throat> and my dad, um, less of that kind of influence. Uh, his parents were very kind of torn, my grandmother being much more rooted in her Christianity and church and my grandfather um, having been raised that way, but a little bit more of a, a wild uh, kind of 
I don't know. He kind of, he reminds us of Johnny Cash. You know, he used to wear the, (laughs) he had the pomp. He wore the jeans with the white t-shirt with the cigarettes rolled in his uh, pocket. So my parents had that influence and I went to Christian school up until about first grade. I guess, you know, they wanted me to have that. My mom had been very kind of scarred by some of, you know, the shaming um, that can that can go on um, in certain areas of development in Catholicism, um, mostly through um, sexual development. But my grandfather, she said, was a bleeding heart liberal (laughs) who would give you the shirt off his back and was very involved with the Catholic Church. And he was a very, very strong attachment figure for me. He died when I was about seven but there was something very spiritual in our bond, for lack yeah. of a better word. I just, we were so connected. And I'd like to, you know, tell a dream that has <laughs> relevance to this connection. Um, I think it was probably about 2014, shortly after I graduated from the master's program in counseling that I had gone to visit my um, grandmother's home and she had deceased in 2003. So I was there for some kind of, you know, we were gonna clear out the house and, you know, clear out the estate in the dream. I walked in to the kitchen and there was an estate lawyer standing there. And he said, Nicole, what I need you to do is go into your grandfather's closet he left your inheritance there for you, but it's just for you. Don't let anybody else see it's just for you. And my grandparents, in reality, had his and her closet, so I knew exactly where to go. And I thought, oh, okay, what is this thing my grandfather left for me? So I walk into the bedroom and I open the closet and the closet's completely empty, save for this small cardboard box that's sitting up on the top shelf. So I pull it down and I go sit on my grandmother's bed. And as I'm attempting to open it, my mom and her two sisters just come at me like vultures. What is that? What do you have? What it, you know, let us see, let us see. And I'm trying to kind of guard it and keep it away from them, but I'm feeling really overwhelmed by their presence and energy. So then the estate lawyer just kind of appears out of thin air again at the foot of the bed. And he said, Nicole, I told you, you know, Nicole, I had said to you, it's just for you. And I said, I understand that, but what am I supposed to do? They're overwhelming me. And he said, take it outside. And a door appeared um, in my grandmother's bedroom where there in reality is just a wall. And I opened the door and walked out into her backyard, which in the dream was just this wide open green field, miles and miles of rolling green field. And when I opened the box, there was an envelope that on the outside said, I'm gonna get a little emotional here, to my dearest Nicole. And when I opened that envelope, it was salt. And I poured the salt out into my hand. 
and in underarm softball fashion, just tossed the salt out onto the grass field. And for probably a mile or two long and 100 feet tall, plants and trees just miraculously sprouted up from the earth. And Christ appeared next to me, but I, I didn't look at him directly. I could just see him out of my periphery vision. And in this loud, booming voice said, I am the salt of the earth. And I woke up, shot up out of bed from that dream, just with that ringing in my ears and just this sense of having been visited, knowing in heart and in my soul that that is my legacy and um, that my grandfather was a deeply spiritual man. Whether I've continued down a path of Christianity or Catholicism, that the, the spirituality lives in me and it's a part of my family legacy. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, for with the, that. With my audience who don't know that reference, salt of the earth is a very biblical phrase, but what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Mm. I am everywhere. I am in all things, in you, in the earth, in the skies, in the heaven. Like I am, I am everywhere and everything. And just on a very human relational level, through me or through relationship to all these things, you will find me. And that there's this kind of special knowing that we have when we bump up against others who are people that are, you know, we say that, uh, that colloquialism, right? Like salt of the earth people. Yeah. And these are people who are in touch with the, the psycho-spiritual, with spirit, you know, and salt to me being a metaphor for spirit. I also want to reflect something back to you, if you don't mind. Not at all. I found it very interesting that the two dreams that you chose to share both pushed you outside. Oh, I was thinking about that with the very early dream of the natives, right? Like I had no, at four years old, I had no connection to Native American culture or history. That was not anything that was presented to me, perhaps something I had seen on TV. But in reflecting on that, I thought, huh, yeah, being guided by these indigenous peoples who are extremely connected to the earth yep. and to nature. And then as you're reflecting, being pushed out into nature. Yeah. Hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, like, again, it's this metaphor of civilization, houses, roofs, comfort, all that stuff is not where you find your best self. That's not your path. It just finds it, you know, the infinite outdoors represents like the infinite. Mm-hmm. You know, because houses are very finite and mm-hmm. bring nature indoors. You know, that was the that was the root of the Christmas tree. You know, symbolism is bringing nature indoors. Right. So that right. we experience nature year round when it's really intolerably cold outside. Um, because we need to be in nature. That's part of 
what seems to be the root of spirituality for humans, some sort of nature connection. Anyway, I'm loving, I'm loving this so far. <laughs> and I don't have any ideas of where to go next. Where do you think you'd like to go next? Okay. So I guess just to continue on the path of like, okay, where were my roots in my family? Where did my family come from? What parts did I keep? What parts did I cast aside? I'm glad you have more to share that on that then. Yeah. So that, so in that space of like childhood and early kind of Christian influence, but really living in a family, a very secular family. Yeah. Um, that my spirituality was dormant. You know, it was something that obviously presented itself to me very early on. But then I was a cheerleader in eighth grade. I hung out with the party kids in high school. Um, and I would say the only inklings I had towards spirituality at that time was a sense that I, you know, I would hang out with a particular clique, but I never felt of them completely. And I knew that there were deeper yearnings within me. And in eighth grade, I formed a very, very close friendship um, with a friend of mine. And we would often meet at lunch and breaks with one of our Spanish teachers, and we were both writing poetry at that time. And those poems um, sometimes made reference to spirituality and religious experience. Um, and then, you know, diff some powerful dreams along the way, um, premonitory dreams. I remember I was about 10 years old, and I had dreamed that my grandmother was at my aunt's house and I we were standing in the kitchen together and she stuck her hand in the blender to ah. grab something yeah and I I exactly I felt that fear and anxiety standing there watching her do that and I was like grandma don't put your hand in there and as soon as I said that the blender started and she screamed and you know pulled her hand out of the blender and I woke up and I was terrified by that dream. And I told my mom the next day, I had this strange dream about grandmother, grandma. Well, two nights later, my whole family and I are sitting on the couch watching TV together. And, you know, this is back when uh, we only had landlines. <laughs> so <laughs> the phone rings and I was the one sitting closest to the phone. So I pick it up and it's my grandmother in a state of complete and utter terror. Cammy, Cammy. And I, my heart rate just shot up. I literally threw the phone at my mom and I said, mom, it's grandma. And she was screaming and crying. You have to call bunny. Something's happening. Something's happening. I can't get through. Da, da, da. Well, bunny is the aunt from the dream. That's whose house we were at together. And what had happened was my grandmother got this really random call where somebody must have dialed the wrong number and it was a woman who was in crisis and in a dv situation oh my gosh yeah it was just strange and so my grandmother thought it was my aunt who had called and like there was no caller id back then or anything and when the phone hung up and my grandmother tried to call my aunt back the line was busy 
so she called us so anyway it turns out it wasn't my aunt and it was just some random strange call but after that my mom just looked at me and we looked at each other and I was like my dream and she goes I know honey and we had both made the same meaning out of that and that was one of the first experiences of kind of feeling like I had been in touch with something um mom validated that mm -hmm. I could so many moms and so many parents, so many grandparents just dismiss the spirituality of children. Right. You know, as you're just a kid, your wild imagination has gotten out of control as if it should be controlled. Right? All these subtle messages that adults often tell children about spirituality. Right. And I would say of the two, my mom is definitely much more spiritual and in touch and um father's story this is her dad it's her dad yeah okay. the lineage is clear right so you know in that uh, i kind of just like went back and said okay here's some little moments in life where things were showing up for me but mostly you know my adolescence was just very um focused on my social life can i just connect to something here with you yeah so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here with a moment of kind of aha about our connection. And the aha comes from my mother, my grandfather, right? Mm. Those are two people in my life. My mother was a Methodist minister and my grandfather was a Lutheran, you know, Sunday school teacher and a very devout man. And I consider to be one of my lineage sources. I'm, you know, also an educator. Um, I have two businesses, you know, like I, I, I find myself, I love trees and talking about trees and what kind of tree comes where. I like being a little bit quirky and weird and silly and funny. And, I, you know, it's like there's just something about him that lives in me. Right. Something that he passed on to my mom the the gift of storytelling he used to read us the sunday comics and mm. do voices for all the characters Aww. so there's just something really sweet about knowing that your maternal grandfather was such a source for you and that so was your mother and i'm feeling very to you about that yeah i appreciate you sharing that with me I, those are parts of your life and your history that i wasn't previously aware of and there's no grounding in this thought, but I've had moments with clients like this where I recognize that there's a certain connection that I'll have with particular clients that have this same story. Mm. Like you attract them to your office somehow. Exactly. Or the therapy gods, you know, are coordinating everything. I, I don't I don't know. I like the I like the former. Um, that it's some sort of energetic attraction, some sort or, of kind of string theory, pulling and pulling and tugging and drawing. And I like both. And not in the sense of therapy gods, but of our families living on in spirit form and somehow playing a role in bringing us all together. I really, that thought actually brings tears to my eyes right like can you imagine like my maternal grandfather and your maternal grandfather saying we need to bring chip and nicole together 
<laughs> we need to get them to meet somehow. <laughs> what was your what was your grandfather's name? Tony. Antonio. Okay. Mm-hmm. Antonio. So he went by Tony. Yeah. So I just wanna I wanna invite them into the podcast. So welcome Tony. And my grandfather was Robert Henry Metz, and mm-hmm. he was known as Bud. <laughs> oh, I love that. I actually have a cousin named Bud who was named after my grandfather. So it's interesting he's come through in this yeah. way. Yeah. Well, I welcome them and uh I have I feel an energetic shift in this moment where my body feels lighter and my heart feels expanded and it feels as though we're tapping into something much bigger than ourselves and I'm just really appreciating that space i've had a i've had a love no that's not the right word i was going to say love hate i've had a fascinating and tense relationship with the other side um and one of my last guests has told me in her own conversation in her own way that i am psychic and mm. i've been in hiding and it's time for me to come out. And I've always known this truth and circled around this truth and denied this truth. Um, I don't know why, but it, it manifests a lot when it comes to communing with the other side, which is why, you know, your interpretation of what happens was very rooted in ancestor presence and ancestor veneration. And I, I've resisted that and yet been fascinated and attracted and drawn to it. So one of these years I'm going to shift and it's going to change my life and I'm going to really open the door all the way. And it felt like a moment. And I also, you said you feel warmer and lighter. I felt like the door slam in my fear about it. Like right afterwards, I felt the warm and then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh shit, too much. Ah, that's interesting. So I'm on this path and it's a it's a tough path for me. I haven't really explored it. I don't have a guide for this yet. And so it's been interesting. I can see where you're at with it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I can see that I'm not there yet. And I can see in my mentors where they're at different places than I am at. And it's very recently, I have my own therapist. I that's part of my just my personal growth path and and self-care experience and there are there have just been countless dreams but I'm feeling a shift in my life over the past probably four years since I moved down to San Diego to be nearer to uh, my Sufi community and realizing or experiencing an increased sense of intuition where there are certain people I find difficult to look in the eye because I can feel I experience like sharp razor pains in my brain and I'm like oh they just they have too much going on (laughs) um and but non-judgmentally and then just going oh wow that's so interesting that I'm able to see that and and feel that and learning to discern between people's energies where you know, we all have stuff we're working on, but being able to sense into people who are maybe dangerous for me, like they have too much dark, I'm I'm just going to use psycho-spiritual terms because it's all that I have, too much dark energy. They're consumed by something 
um, that has the potential to do harm um, through power. Attached to you because you're a sensitive. Right. And then, yeah. and then knowing like, Hey, this, Oh, this person, like you can see we're all working out stuff. None of us are perfect, but really being able to discern between a good person that's on there, you know, genuine, authentic person that has good energy that also has an ego that, you know, <laughs> is trapped in all sorts of stuff, myself included, and really being able to discern between the difference of someone who's really kind of more attached to some uh, more like narcissistic energy that has the power to exploit and do harm and abuse um, versus, you know, people that just are are growing and learning and imperfect so um with that with all of this stuff kind of going on and dreams that are more prophetic um where i can see i've been given dreams that show me really what's going on within another person and their psychology and and what they're up against and, um, you know, dreaming something with the numbers four and one and having an inclination that something's going to happen on four one. And then I see the person from the dream on four one. Oh, wow. Yeah. After that dream, I went to my therapist and I said, I'm ready to accept that I have psychic abilities. Yeah. And I just got a chill all through my body saying that and you had referred me to a, a podcast of yours where you had interviewed a woman who is a medium and she it wasn't her it was the spirit of that episode that showed up in that dream for me where wow. I was like I was I was in a I think maybe like a yoga class or you know I was in a public space and one of the women in that space, we were talking and had formed a connection. And I could sense what was going on with her and in her life. But I had to close my eyes in order to receive the full information, which I thought was interesting. And then I was able to tell her I said, oh, so you're a teacher and you have a dog and, you know, and she was taking this like with a grain of salt as if it was um, normal or expected that I would know this information. And I told her, I said, don't you think it's interesting that I knew all that about you without you telling me? Uh. And she goes, oh, yeah, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> and I said, but, you know, I need to be careful because a woman, um, a woman recently told me that you shouldn't read others' information without their permission. Yeah, that was Marie. That, yeah, exactly. And that dream really felt like, um, like I had connected to her through that podcast and like a, a sort of mentoring through her energy where I'm at a point where I feel those abilities growing and I'm less afraid of them. And like you, you're saying, I don't have a guide. I don't have a mentor. Um, 
maybe it's happening more slowly because we don't have those guides and those mentors. And so it needs to kind of evolve and open up at a pace that feels okay for us. Yeah. I mean, I took a huge step forward toward that just in this episode, just in this conversation right now, Mm. I felt my body shift, soften and firm up again. And that's just how it works. And so it, it's not accurate that I don't have a guide. I just don't have an earthly guide. <laughs> it, yes. I'm glad. It's funny. Uh, I had thought that as I said it out loud. And so I'm glad that you uh, brought a voice to that. And it's harder to trust in the unseen guides. Um, if it doesn't make sense, if it can't, if it can't be proved, you know, um, yeah, then it isn't, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at our altar in the bedroom and there's a candle with a sacred heart Jesus on it and it, it voomed. Mm. <laughs> and when I was looking at it and I'm like, well, is that real or is that just my imagination getting away from me? Like, like I've been told as a, as a kid. And that it's- reminds me of, uh, of, of, I, I wish I could remember the direct source, um, but hearing others talk about our choice in the way we move through the world, right? Where either nothing is magical or everything is magical. Yeah, but Einstein said that. There's two ways to live as if everything's a miracle or as if nothing is a miracle. Right. Yeah. And so I'm very much leaning towards the... I would rather live in a world where everything is magical and that synchronicities exist. And ener- and I know energy is real because I've experienced my hands heating up and doing Reiki on people. And they are like, what is, ha- what is this? Yeah. It's tangible. Um, shifting into a meditative state and hearing cracks, uh, crackles in the house, where- zaps. Yeah. Um, which takes me <laughs> back to the story of spiritual evolution, where, you know, we had this, you know, ad- I had this adolescent time where I didn't pay much attention to that part of my life and was with my son's dad up until I was about 18. But that was a very abusive relationship mm-hmm. that I left and took my son and moved back in with my family and in that time I spent about a year kind of reconnecting with a lost sense of adolescence I was working full-time at Denny's as a um, waitress and reconnected with my best friend from high school and my parents were there you know helping um, just helping guide me and and babysitting my son so that I could have some um, fun, really. And I really appreciate them for allowing me to have that time and that space in my life. I don't know that I've ever expressed that to them enough. Just um, some appreciation and compassion for my parents. They also had me very young. My dad was 20 and my mom was 17 going on 18. And, um, you know, they did their best. And, And that was 
a time where, um, you know, they were there for me and my son. And um, what that allowed me to do is kind of go through like some catch up with a developmental period that I had missed becoming a mom so young, which then allowed me to reach a point um, organically where I said, this isn't what I like. I don't, I can't continue down this path. Um, you know, this has to end. I'm a mom. Um, I'm, I need more. I want more. Yeah. And yeah. So I, um, you know, just kind of let everybody know in that world, like, um, I'm not going to be hanging out with you guys anymore. Basically don't call me. Don't invite me out to parties. Like, um, I'm done. Then I said, okay, well, well, what do I want? And that's when I started thinking about, I hadn't thought about going to back to school at that point yet. I don't think, but I wanted to cultivate some, some other, interests and kickboxing was really big at that time but yeah so tiger yang studio in downtown fullerton <laughs> uh, i signed up for a kickboxing class which was um actually led by a man who was trained in kuksul kwan by the south korean special forces and my friend Mike had been studying with him since he was about 11 years old. And Mike had his spiritual awakening at 13 when he was, you know, going to school and riding skateboards with all the skateboard kids in the neighborhood, had a sleepover, and they decided to do this ritual um, of their own making. <laughs> and he had a dream that night and was visited and told what his path would be um and at 13 you know began reading books on buddhism and taoism and um different forms of eastern and western spirituality so we met and would sit after class talking for an hour or two he introduced me to meditation I'd go over to his house and um, the first night we sat together in meditation the way I the only analogy I can come up with that gives it justice is after that night it was as if um, a dam had been released in sure. my mind and that's when my dream life just exploded and I became a a dreamer yeah. A spiritual dreamer. And that's why dreams are so important because that's the portal that was opened up to me through my spiritual awakening. I love learning this origin. Yeah, it's one of the most memorable experiences of my life. And, you know, there's there's certain relationship, you know, uh, of course, the birth of my son, which I've already spoken about and the meaning and purpose I find in being a mother, um, spirituality, and my education. It helps me understand this phenomenon I've had experiencing you when we'll, we never know when we run into each other on campus, we never know if it's, if it's a short conversation or if, if we, if the other has time for deep, you right. know, and you will often 
want to share a dream and you treat it like it's a it's a living child like you're always careful to say can i are you open uh, you know like like is this okay if i drop this kid off with you will you take care of it can you do it to listen to it because it's 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 like i'm now getting a sense of how deep and sacred these dreams are because you treat them with such respect in the way you share them the way you choose to share them and it's been something i've been puzzled by and fascinated by and intrigued by and now I feel like I totally understand it. Yeah, it's my dreams are like what people experience on ayahuasca or psilocybin. Sure. So, um, you know, I've had psilocybin experiences that actually feel less powerful and immediate than my dreams. Um, so, yeah, it. it you know, I appreciate that reflection. And, and I get I, I see how people sometimes go like, why does she think this is so important, or so <laughs> sacred? And um, because I know there are some dreams, right, that are just like, me working out stresses or anxieties. And then there are dreams that are gifts, and sacred, sacred gifts. And they're deeply meaningful to me which I had trouble finding validation in the external world for that. And I found myself at one point shortly after graduating from the master's program where I was repeatedly making the same statement to people that I feel that dreaming is a spiritual practice in and of itself mm -hmm. over and over again. So I went to this um, sound healing uh, workshop or not workshop but just a sound bath mm -hmm. experience experience thank you and there was a little bookstore next door it was in Costa Mesa visions and dreams yes I love that bookstore yep so I walked into visions and dreams and lo and behold I find a book called she who dreams <laughs> so somebody wrote a book for you somebody wrote a book for me and there I said okay here are my people um, and she is friends with a man named Robert Moss, who has written probably a handful of books on conscious dreaming, dream work, um, has relationship with um, indigenous Aboriginal people in Australia, and um, there, there I found community and that kind of brings us back to the idea of my spirituality being outside of the house and in nature and tying back to nature and indigenous spirituality where you know Michael Harner in his The Way of the Shaman had said that shamans or um, indigenous spiritual leaders are have a foot in each world right? The imaginal and the physical and our masters of both. Yeah. Another metaphor for the inside outside thing I was thinking is like ego versus unconscious, you know, like, like another real clear distinction is, do you live the life of the, you know, of the, the surface world, mm -hmm. superficial world, or do you dive into the unknown, which most humans are frankly terrified of, 
which is <laughs> which by horror becomes you know and nightmares become such a big phenomenon for many dreamers is because and i think it's because of the way they hold the relationship to the unknown hold a relationship with the unknown that is frightening then you're more likely and more susceptible to nightmares because that's what the unknown is trying to come through for mm -hmm. unconscious the, the 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 collective the the akasha the all that stuff is trying to come through and you're somebody who embraces it so fully like you said the dam was released when you were very young and you know my guess is that even if you have dreams that are quote unquote scary that you don't experience them as nightmares no i don't and you're speaking to um a phenomenon or a reality in which the opposite has been very true for me, where I feel safer in the unconscious than I have in the world. Ugh. Wow. And I had a <laughs> bringing us back to a dream, but I was, I had a dream in my early to mid twenties where I was brought down into this, like monastic layer it was pitch black save for two um sort of like candles or fires being um burnt on um scales so like think of like the symbol of justice where it's holding the two scales and there was a monk in a brown um robe standing down there and I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is awe-inspiring. I felt at home in that layer, in that cave, in that underground cave. And then there came a point where I had to go outside. And when I opened the door, I walked out into just this busy main street. And my family was at a little cafe waiting for me to arrive to have like pancake breakfast or whatever. <laughs> And I was like, Ugh. yeah, such a sharp contrast. <laughs> but I think that brings it back to that statement that Michael Harner said. And, and that's really where another point that I feel I've evolved into and, and have grown into is really learning to be a master of both worlds. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not a master, but I feel that I'm walking that path. And yeah. that recognition, right, of holding the duality of life, that it is, it's both. Both and. Mm -hmm. um, mm. <laughs> We're getting into it. I love this. Yeah. I, I don't want to stop our conversation until we've gotten to the present. You've done a wonderful job of kind of giving us a four-year-old, seven-year-old, 10-year-old, you know, teenager, uh, young mom, you know, all this stuff. And yet I know that you're, you're your current life is so rich with, you know, spiritual encounters in, in and out of the therapy context, but also you've, I know that you've been um, studied, studied Sufism and have a Sufi community that you've moved down to San Diego to be closer to. Um, gosh, what else? I always want my listeners to get a sense of there is a, there is, there is an actual practice but it doesn't have to be structured, disciplined, full of shame if you don't do it. You know, it can it can ebb and flow like the natural psych. But I like to ask people, what do they do? What what does it look like if somebody was to watch you? 
be spiritual <laughs> what even though that's a a weird oxymoron because it's yeah um but what might somebody see i don't know anything you can share you get where I'm... i do i do um i i am not a sufi um but i feel very connected to the um philosophy uh the psycho-spiritual container um and many of the ideas and practices embodied in that mystical path. So, um, you know, something I did recently, uh, my son was here and I wanted to teach him some of the practices that help guide me. So we burnt sage um, to clear the space of negative stagnant energy. And then we burnt cedar to invite in light and positivity and then we sat for about 30 minutes and I did um, some he what are called healing suras. So um, they're called the cools. And those are some of my favorite um, prayers and meditations from Sufism. So um, those are really designed to clear our life and consciousness of the influence of what Sufis call shaitan. And that's the sort of dark, destructive, menacing energies that um, keep us trapped in ego and judgment and criticism of self and other um, and keep us in the veil. Yeah. Let me say something for the audience that, um, that doesn't know what a Sufi is. The Sufism, like I think uh, there's two things that everybody must know that it comes from a is Islamic mystic tradition and that the, the world's most famous Sufi was the poet Rumi. Right. Yeah. So many people know Sufism through uh, Rumi's poetry, but r truly all of the Abrahamic faiths have a mystic sect. Yes. Right. So in Judaism, it's uh, the Kabbalah. In Christianity, it's Gnosticism, which I explored in my 20s as well. And Islam, the Sufis. And what's similar in those paths amongst all their differences is the value for direct experience and communion with spirit um, above the law. So right? you communion differently than taking uh, a, a wafer and some wine. Right. I mean, that's a symbolic gesture, yet there are ways in which we can get in touch with the energy behind the symbolic gesture. So when where, my Jesus candle boomed, that was a direct experience. Right, exactly. And so there are ways in which we can cultivate more of that, whereas, and, you know, religion provides the, the container and the guidance um, as far as um, how we can walk that, that path. Yeah. And the guide, so in Sufism, you know, they have guides. And there's different um, traditions. I, I'm not an expert, um, but there are um, 
you know, different sects within Sufism. Uh, one of the more popular sects is the Nashkabandi, I, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and part of why that's become more popularized is there are um, people within the field of um, psychology that have walked that path and written books about it. And uh, what's different in that than the path that um, my teacher and mentor walk is the Nashkabandis do their prayers in silence. And ours includes more um, group uh, group prayer and um, out loud. Mm. So in that, there are particular um, prayers that I'm drawn to. And so I, I told you about the cools. Right. And um, and then there's the repetition of qualities of Allah. Um, so there are 99 names of Allah. So sometimes we'll just choose um, a quality or several qualities to work with. Um, I typically, if I'm doing working on qualities, I often am drawn to just Allah. Uh, it really resonates deeply in my heart. So there's a, a lot of energy that I can build in that. Um, and then on the other side, Latif, which is a more gentle um, expression of Allah. So it'll, again, with working with those names and different qualities, it's um, you can do all of them or you can choose particular qualities that you'd like to focus on that day. And then one of my favorite prayers is called the light prayer. And in that, I engage in visualization of my crown chakra being open and light pouring in. And the prayer is, Ya Allah, please Allah, put light in my body and light in my soul, light in my heart, light in my spirit, and light in my intellect. Put light before me and light behind me. Light above me and light below me. Put light on my right and light on my left. And in group Dickers, we have done um, that prayer for like two and a half hours on New Year's Eve. Just on repeat. Uh-huh. Mm. And so when I'm alone and I, you know, uh, my practice and my dedication absolutely ebbs and flows um but i will do some variation of all of that um for 30 minutes or more once or twice a day mm. uh, you, you know you're sharing this about um sufism and yet i'm hearing like i studied buddhism probably the most outside of my christian upbringing mm -hmm. um, until my path of druidry more recently and you know, one of the things that I loved about Buddhist philosophy is the idea that that no spirituality is complete without the three jewels, mm -hmm. and that you know the first jewel being the Buddha, the you know the, the sacred archetype, right? The the focal point of the teaching, right? And then, and then the Dharma, the teaching itself, and the path, and the discipline, and the practices, and then the Sangha, which is the third jewel, which is the community. And so I'm loving hearing you vacillate between the public and community parts, but also sharing what you do privately and how um, 
you know, it's, it is a personal journey, even though it's a, there's ways in which we can share some of what we do with the collective. It seems to be the most important for us to also bring it home and do it personally to have that union. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, there are in the Sufi, uh, the Sufi lineage, you, their communal practice is called dicker. And typically you would meet on Thursday and Sunday evenings. And part of why I have been more private than communal is due to COVID, unfortunately. And the lack of consistency in community being able to get together and really just missing the in-person connection with not a lot of that being available at this time, people like moving away and doing it over the phone or, and I just, um, I'm not connecting with it in that way. And so I've kind of moved more towards a private practice um, over the past couple of years and tapping into the the community when I can. I think I really still want to talk about how, because I know that, you know, my, my thesis uh, for my master's in counseling was, was about spiritual integration. I feel like I would feel remiss by not asking you, how does spirit work with you through you around you in your, in your therapy practice? Mm. Well, I think that's a point of present day evolution. And a recent psychedelic experience actually gave me some insight, not, not even just insight, but direction, where I heard the voice of spirit telling me that I came into this world with the purpose of being a healer. And that everything that happens to me is to help educate me and move me towards a greater embodiment of that, of that role. And so I feel that I'm now at the precipice of evolving my practice into a more integrative practice. And I've talked about wanting to start a women's dream work group for a long time. And I'm now feeling that, you know, 2023 will be the year for that and really marketing myself more as an integrative, like psycho-spiritual practitioner and EMDR specifically attachment focused EMDR has been a tool for that because the way that I work, we activate the imaginal mm -hmm. very early on and spend a lot of time in that space and rewriting um, people's narratives by what's through a tool or um, a practice called developmental repair, where we create ideal parents and populate a whole ideal world and re-experience their lives in the imaginal with characters that 
oftentimes sprout up organically just by saying, here are the two people that I would choose. Here's the qualities. Here's what they would look like. And then it's like this whole world is created. What they do for a living, the people that are around, the experiences that that they would have. And that to me feels more spiritual than psychological um, because we're in the imaginal and people are, you know, coming, they're in tears saying, I can't believe how real this, I can't believe how healing this feels. It, it feels magical. They use the word magical often. Mystical, magical. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. As a, as a storyteller and a role player, um, I'm so aware of how often I'll create a character just for a game. But then there's a point at which the character starts taking over and I'm no longer like there's a there's a very clear distinction between what I would do and what this character must do because it's alive, you know, so I'm I'm quite clear that the imaginal world can can birth beings. Yes, I love that. And then just this kind of as my and I, I can feel this like resistance in the pit of my stomach like um, there's a part of my body that's saying don't say this don't don't say this out loud but I'm going to say it out loud as my psychic abilities continue to develop and I become more and more at home in my spirituality I have experiences where I'm in the room with someone and you as a therapist know what it's like to be in emotional attunement with your yeah. client well i've had experiences where we're in that synchronization together and i see their auras expand and that's a new phenomenon for me to have visual um experience of another person's energy field and i feel i feel excited to grow that that part of me and what that might do, uh, what that might be able to offer the people that come to see me. And I'm so glad I was able to tap into this because I said, I really hope that I can tell Chip this story about a man that I met when I went to Mexico. So a friend of mine had invited me to go to Guadalajara with she and her sister and um, I said, okay, yeah, I'd love to. I've never been there. Would love to experience that. I said to myself, okay, well, I don't get to travel very often. And I'd like to, and all of a sudden, it's so strange. My mind has gone blank <laughs> um, in terms of the beach city that I visited. It's one of the most popular um, places to visit in Mexico. Um, and I can't believe thinking on it, but we'll see if it comes back to me. So I decided to take a plane over to the coast. And when I arrived, I was just like overwhelmed by, um, the people at the airport greeting you. They're like, Oh, welcome. You know, I was like, Oh, this is this is amazing. <laughs> well, I had very little education about what was 
really happening. And I got roped into a timeshare <laughs> presentation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, got a $30, you know, boat ride to an island the following day. So that was nice. But it was a very, like, high-pressured um, situation where they have someone greet you. You walk around the property together. Then they sit you down and try to sell you. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested. And then they send another person over. And they had sent like three people over. So by the time the third person came, I was just very, very overwhelmed and just wanted to leave. Right. So this man that walks up, I could feel him. And he felt so grounding and so warm and he made eye contact with me and he said oh are you um are you Mexican I said no I'm Italian oh where's your family from so he starts asking me questions about my family and I get into the story about my grandparents yeah and I started crying I'm so sorry I have told this story a thousand times over I have no re I have no idea why I'm crying and he said um oh no it's okay you know and and then I said I knew something was happening with this person that was beyond the stress of the environment and him just being a kind man and I said do you have any healers or curanderos in your family and he said no I don't he said, but I lost my wife um, 20 years ago and I raised my children on my own. And I said, you have a very open heart and I can feel that. And he said, that's the only way to live. And then it just turned into this conversation about living with an open heart wow. and yeah, being open hearted people. And it was, and I couldn't stop crying. After I walked, he was just very kind. He said, you need to leave for today. <laughs> you know, if you want to come back to our pool and, you know, hang out. He, so he was just very, very kind and warm. He asked me if he could give me a hug. I gave him a hug. And I just could not stop crying. Wow. And when I got back to my um, Airbnb, I just realized how much of our work as healers and therapists is energetic. Yeah. And that the more I can open my heart and be in that space, the less I have to say or do for anybody. I think the greatest gift that we have is to, um, to continue to open our hearts and to be open to this phenomenon of spirituality. And it creates an energetic space that is unquantifiable. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's what the it's what the Sexton and Whiston studies from '94 was trying to get at was that it doesn't matter what technique you use, it doesn't matter what theory you use, the 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 clients coming out of therapy cite the somehow the nature of the rapport, the nature of the relationship, something about the therapeutic alliance, all those things that you're pointing to. It's the energy of the connection, the communion that actually is the most healing piece of the therapeutic encounter. So I'm loving that. I'm loving all of it. Right. And I think um, in terms of the outcomes 
pointing to the relationship being the most potent force um, therapeutically is, I think, different than the energetic component. Um, Relationship to me is more about, you know, the conversation and the emotional attunement and, and the connection we feel and the energetic is more to me why people will stand in line for 10 hours waiting to receive a hug from Ama. Yeah. You know, and that she can do that for 24 hours straight and not need to sleep. And there's, I mean, I guess in a sense relational, but. Holding the space that something is, is higher, higher function. A different frequency than, than the bond or the connection um, relationally. Well, I feel like we have circled danced so many different amazing qualities that you bring. And I am in a, in a state of immense heart opening gratitude for you, uh, for you <laughs> and for the time that you gave us and for the generosity of spirit, that moment, right, right there where you just said, I've been feeling some resistance to saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That just embodies the generosity that you bring. And I'm so grateful. And I don't want to say thank you. We're done. Good night until I've given you the opportunity to say anything else that you might want to say anything. If you take a moment and reflect, is there anything that you thought you'd might bring to this that you haven't yet? Not at all, but I would just like to, echo that feeling of gratitude and appreciation and um, those points of similarity and difference that we embody. And one of the differences that I really appreciate about you is your courage and um, just how you are constantly leaning into discomfort so that you can create space, right? Um, So I am so deeply appreciative of who you are and what you bring to this world and what you bring to my life. And yeah. And, and that you've created this space for these conversations. I've been so blessed by how many deep and profound and meaningful and beautiful and uplifting and enlightening conversations that I get to have with people that I know that there's a hunger for that in the world and I'm blessed to know so many people and attract so many people that are in this conversation collectively, individually. And yet, if we're not sharing it with other people, other people are thirsty. So it's mm-hmm. a big piece of how I want to live my life such that it's 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 got an impact and an impact in a particular way, a deepening, enriching, enlivening right? I want people to live a life that's more connected, more spiritual, more special, more magical, more mystical. Yeah. They can do this by joining us as a kind of a fly on the wall of our conversations. And then like you said, with listening to the Marie conversation, it did something to you. It did something for you. So if this, if this is something that people can get out of listening to our conversations, then you and I have done a, a great service. Mm, I really appreciate that. And um, in terms of effect, right, being uh, a therapist, it's a very small kind of pool of people 
that you are able to influence, but you in your teaching and being with students podcast, you're reaching a much broader um, community of people. And I think it's really special and I thank you and appreciate you. Oh, all right. On that note, uh, officially close with gratitude, with um, leaning in, with um, walking the path toward the unknown and the outside. Um, I'm really touched by this conversation. So, Wow. That was quite an episode. I know that if you're still listening, that you enjoyed it as well as I did. And uh, I've included Nicole's contact information in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to her. Um, Thanks for joining us. See you in the next episode.